0: Hi there, this is Dr. Mo, and today we'll be mapping embodied neuroscience on the 15-Minute Matrix.
1: Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host, Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Dr. Monique Andrews, aka Dr. Mo. Dr. Monique Andrews is a neuroscientist, chiropractor, and international award-winning speaker who's been teaching about health. The mind-body continuum and its expression for the last 20 years. Affectionately known as Dr. Mo, she is adored by students and clients for her ability to make even the most difficult concepts accessible. Prior to becoming a chiropractor, Dr. Mo was a research neuroscientist who published in the areas of psychoneuroimmunology and the neurobiology of stress and reward. She has spent the last 20 years studying with world-leading experts such as Sue Brown, Gabor Mate, Peter Levine, Bessel van der Kolk, and Jack Kornfield. Dr. Mo is a co-founder of the Prana Foundation, where she integrates Western neuroscience with Eastern spiritual practices to serve as a mentor and master teacher, facilitating workshops, masterminds, and transformative retreats around the world. Dr. Mo's mission is to ease the path for others, helping human beings transform through mentorship, education, community, and love. Few people possess the expertise, presence, and wisdom to make a meaningful impact on humanity, and Dr. Mo is a rare gift. So let's dive in. Hi, Dr. Mo. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Oh, thank you so
0: much for having me here today. I'm excited to have this conversation with you.
1: Me too. And as I told you before, our listeners are all big fans of the mind-body continuum and discussions about the gut-brain axis and the vagus nerve. And I'm wondering how that all relates to this concept of embodied neuroscience. What does that mean? Yeah, so depending on the perspective
0: or perhaps the profession that your expertise is in, there's been this focus, I think, a lot, especially in terms of, let's think, our psychological well-being from a top-down perspective. And what the neuroscience tells us, which is interesting because you think neuroscience, you immediately think brain. But actually what the science today tells us is that we get much deeper changes in human physiology, human psychology, if we come at it from a bottom-up perspective. So when we say embodied, we mean literally encompassing both that top-down and bottom-up perspective. So we're not just approaching it from a, I'm going to think my way out of this, which we know doesn't really work most of the time. And actually what we found is that if we come through the body somatically, we can create much more substantial changes in those networks that are not conscious, that are not voluntary, that we don't have conscious control over.
1: I love that the neuroscience tells us that. You know, it makes so much sense from where we sit as functional practitioners. And yet, you know, it's harder to find some of the information that still isn't taking that top down approach. When we're talking about this, Dr. Mo, what kind of issues in the body are we thinking about considering this bottom up approach for? Well, it could be anything, really.
0: Even if you think about it from a purely physiological perspective, you know, you think about somebody that has a dysautonomia like atrial fibrillation. Now, one might think, well, they should see a cardiologist. And you should. And very likely, as is often the case, dysautonomias are not very well managed. The example I used, if there's not a structural dysfunction that's causing atrial fibrillation, for example it's most likely a neurological functional issue. What a great conversation to have for functional medicine practitioners, right? And so, you know, there may be ways that we can work somatically to create changes there that don't involve pharmacotherapeutics.
1: Yeah, so interesting. So we can really look at the entire central portion of the functional nutrition matrix and say yes and yes and yes all the way ticking around. Is that right? I think so, yes. It's fair to say. So when we go to the left side of the matrix and we consider these approaches, is this something that we in history knew and forgot in favor of certain kinds of evidence? Like what's the lineage or the through line of this bottom-up embodied neuroscience kind of thinking?
0: Well, you know, I think it, depends again on your perspective. If you are a conventional medical doctor, then what are the options? They usually are pharmacotherapeutics or surgery. Now, if we want to talk about the origins of the embodied approach, we just need to go back to, you know, second century India (laughs) and, and look at the yogic perspective because the basis of all of yoga is through the body.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It seems like we got maybe off course or we forgot something that was a piece of the puzzle, both in medicine, but also as humans, as patients, like people were practicing embodied medicine and we lost our way or that's how it seems to me. How do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, with the advent of what I will call conventional medicine in the last 100 years, the perspective has entirely shifted away from empowering the patient with, you know, embodied or at least self-practices to giving up of power to the healer outside. Personally, I think the only person that you can heal is yourself.
1: Yeah. I'm wondering... You know, I've been asking a lot of questions, Dr. Mo, but you have such a deep passion for this. Before we get into some of the kind of how-tos, how do you think about this and really bring the message forward to our patients? Because I know all the practitioners I train, sometimes it feels for them like it's a convincing Act like we have to convince people that it's not a quick fix, that there's this deeper work. It doesn't seem related. So, how do you get the message across in your practice and help other practitioners to embrace that messaging as well?
0: That's a really great question. I think it's a trap young practitioners and tired practitioners often fall into. And there's nothing that actually is more labor intensive than feeling like you have to convince somebody. So I will say this. This is something that I say to patients all the time, which is how you respond to your environment is not your fault. Just a caveat there, (laughs) because often you need to follow that up by saying it doesn't mean that you can operate like a nasty person. What I mean by that is how we respond to our environment is an automatic thing. Like if you hear the sound of tire screeching, you jump. That's not a conscious, cognitive choice. That is your body's physiology, your autonomic nervous system responding. And life is a lot like that. And so I think the first thing that they need to understand is your biology is not your fault, but it is your responsibility.
1: Yes, I love that. I feel like I could be saying those words myself. It's like the cat that jumps to the cucumber, right? Like it's that built-in response that's come and been built into the body in a responsive way. And I think sometimes we don't even realize we're responding in a certain way or we don't recognize the mechanisms of our response. And that awareness is probably part of the key to coming into the parasympathetic and the healing. It doesn't take more than five minutes to explain to people how their body
0: works, the autonomic nervous system, and what that looks like with, you know, simple examples. Have them look at a couple of pictures and how did how did your body respond to that? Here's a picture of a snake. Some people might like a snake. Other people, it's a terrifying thing. And again, it's that autonomic, automatic processing that most people don't really... I think the general public, while they're much more educated today than they've ever been, they don't quite understand that how they respond to stress is not pre-programmed in terms of conscious awareness.
1: Yeah. And I don't know that we could think our way out of it like you were talking about from the get-go. So what do we do? How do we help people come back into their bodies to have that embodied experience?
0: Yeah, well, I think, number one, we have to give them the tools. A lot of times, the biggest gap for people, the greatest barrier to learning and making changes, they don't have the tools. You know, you tell people to change their diet, but if you don't tell them how, then it's not accessible. So we teach them. We give them the tools. And then I really, for me, what I like is to ask people for a daily practice. And that can start as simply as a five-minute somatic, concentrated practice that maybe includes some meditation and breath work. And then I really like polyvagal exercises as a way of teaching people how to give self-care.
1: And you have a few exercises that I know you rely on. Can you walk us through some of what you would be recommending based on that? Yeah. And
0: again, it's very different, like from a polyvagal perspective, you kind of need to know which neural platform people are hanging in, you know, for the audience. I'm sure most people are aware, but, you know, uh, Porges talks about the vagus nerve being divided into ventral vagal and dorsal vagal. And then, of course, sympathetic, everybody's aware is fight or flight. Dorsal vagal is more of that freeze or fawn response. And then ventral vagal would be that social, connected, that's the highest level of functioning. And so depending where people are in those different neural platforms, you may choose different exercises. Because, you know, if you take somebody, for example, that's in a deep dorsal vagal place of freeze, you don't necessarily want to get them to sit quietly and do polyvagal breath work. That could actually put them into a a deeper state of freeze. And so the first thing is, you know, you, you have to assess and see where people are at.
1: Yeah, so important. I really think that that notion that you're talking about, about the individuality and also the deep importance of assessment. I know you're a chiropractor. Are you doing hands-on assessment as part of that determination? Some hands-on, but also there are some great outcome
0: assessment tools and screens, like literally a fill-in checklist that helps you really dive into the different neural platforms and the different autonomic states that the body is residing in. And so you would start with an assessment and then from there make a choice. You know, the simplest one, the easiest thing to teach people is polyvagal breathing. And um, as you know, you know, when we breathe in, this brings up our sympathetic nervous system. So the sympathetic goes high. And then as we breathe out, as we exhale, the parasympathetics come up. So it's as simple as exaggerating the exhale, as prolonging the exhale so that it's longer than inhalation. And that in and of itself will help shift to a more parasympathetic state. I just want to note, you know, and I'm sure everybody that's on this call, if they're a practitioner, they recognize that we're not saying that you should be 100% one or the other. In fact, you know, there's a dynamic balance between the two. There's always a little bit of foot on the gas and a little bit of foot on the brake. But, you know, just coming back to the idea that we need to assess first before applying those types of exercises.
1: Yeah, I call it the art of the practice. Assess, recommend, track, repeat, right? So we have to really dive into those assessments before making the recommendations. And breath work, when you're talking about that polyvagal breathing And I've heard you speak about this, Dr. Mo, just that the inhale, the pause, the longer exhale, uh, is that something we recommend or trial with the appropriate patient or client for a certain length of time each day?
0: Yeah, typically the four, seven, eight breath, which is the polyvagal breath, four seconds inhalation, pause for seven, out for eight. And have them repeat that about 10 or 12 times at least once a day. Early in the morning is great. You can do it anytime somebody is maybe feeling a little bit anxious. And again, you know, a good complete history will help you be more specific and focusing in on when exactly they should be doing the breath work.
1: Beautiful. What have you found most fascinating about the continued awareness of embodied neuroscience? What is it telling us that maybe as practitioners we're getting wrong or we're overlooking, or again, as I said, we forgot?
0: You know what I love most of all is it puts the healing back into the hands of the patient or practice member. Because too often – and certainly, we know this is the case in the conventional realm, the power of the individual is taken away. And I truly believe that only you can heal yourself. And the more that we can give back to the patient, of course, with our facilitation, the more empowered they can feel and be to actually create long standing change in their expression.
1: Yeah. Can you talk about just some of the results that you've seen in your practice by employing some of these practices? I'll give you an example.
0: As a chiropractor, something that we really look for to see that there is an evolution in somebody's healing is that they can go for longer and longer periods without necessarily having to come in and have an adjustment. And so what I have found is that when you employ the polyvagal principles, and give people exercises to do and work with some of them in practice, people can hold their adjustments for much longer. So that's the physical response. Psychologically, the level of well-being, I think it just you see that it increases exponentially. as you educate people to understand that they literally that their healing comes from within, that they're self-healing organism, and that the role that they play is essential.
1: Mm, mm, That's so beautiful. And it really does bring us back to the patient being the hero in the hero's journey. And I love that so much. Dr. Mo, thank you for being with us today and for sharing your wisdom. Oh, thanks so much. The 15-Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio, and special thanks to Natalie Merrill, Alia Hale, Pamela Geismar, and Rowan Bradley for their support in making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies today's or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com. We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review, and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our full body systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month emerging course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your client's issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.